let's face it, in this life we will be challenged, sometimes beyond what we think we can handle. At times it can feel like we're being stretched to the breaking point. Whether it's work, family, raising kids, or walking out our faith, how do we deal with the day-to-day pressure? And where can we turn when we can't find the answers? Do we shut down or do we rise to meet the challenge? In the midst of our trials, we will be stretched, but we don't have to be defeated. We've been in a series where we're going to be stretched, and, and the first thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is how do we get through pain, suffering, difficulties, trials, and circumstances in life? And, and so if you missed that week, I'd go and encourage you to go online and, and kind of hear how do I do that if you're going through a situation. Last week, we talked about the uh, stretching that comes by what real faith is, that it's not just about you know, the way I feel, but it's actually what I do. And, and you can look at that last week. And so today, uh, we, last week we talked a lot about actions. Today, we have to talk a lot about words. So how important are our words? Uh, according to James, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in James 1.26, speaking of being stretched, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Ouch! Right? Now, it, 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 it doesn't get better uh, because... I, I want to encourage you some more this morning. Uh, here's what I can say. Is this, what we're saying is, does what I say match up with what I believe? That's what James is saying. Does what I say match up with what I believe? And it's super tough. And here's the problem. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible even teaches no one can tame the tongue. No one can. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open to James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses uh, 2 through 12. And this is what James says in James 3, 2. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect, and none of us are, and could also control ourselves in every other way. He then goes on to say in verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And here's what you know, even if you're a Christ follower, you could be like, you know, I'm spending time with the Lord, and I'm doing really well, and I'm keeping a tight rein on this little device called the tongue, and then all of a sudden you get stressed out. Somebody makes it upset Somebody pulls in front of you when they shouldn't. And all of a sudden, you let loose on what you had such a tight rein on, and it's so easy. If you don't believe me, get married, okay? It just, it just flies. It just, the longer you're married, the looser it is just to kind of throw things back at one another. Uh, one of the things that was taught when I was a kid, maybe you did this well, parents, this is an illustration for you to teach your kids. It's like toothpaste, Right? Uh, if you take this with your kids, you just remind them, say, hey, you know, Johnny, Susie, whatever your name is, this is you, okay? And when you take the cap off, I'm not going to do it because it gets really messy. He says, understand this, when you speak words, it comes out of the toothpaste. Now, when they're out of the toothpaste, because you may have regret, regretted the words that you say, now go ahead and put it back into the container. And they're all, it's all over everywhere. So you have to be okay losing a thing of toothpaste or washing it really good. And they realize really quickly, you know, that when words come out, even though you can think in the back of your mind, no, you're trying to pull them back in, that once they're out, they're out. Uh, here's, here's what's even worse. You know, uh, in today's day and age, uh, you, we, we do something and we click send, right? And you might be like, ooh, shouldn't have clicked send. Nope, it's there for all eternity. You know, once you click send, even though you may try to erase that. So let me give you some toothpaste examples, okay? I asked on social media whether the funniest or awkward thing that you have said to someone or heard someone say as well. Isaiah wrote, 
I left a voicemail. The end of it, I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And then I hung up. <laughs> like, oh, hey, you know, spiritual. You know, that's nice. You kind of throw it out there. Uh, Kristen wrote, my grandmother once greeted my mother, her new daughter-in-law, with, is that a wig or are you wearing your ugly hair these days? Not nice. Not very nice, huh, Kristen? Not nice at all. Not nice. Uh, uh, Jonathan wrote, my wife and I met with an older gentleman to get some business advice. Well, in his office, we commented on a photo. What a nice picture of you and your daughter. That's my wife, he replied. They just both sank in their chairs. Like those Snickers commercials, want to get away, you know. Uh, Eric wrote, uh, that one time at work, I walked up to a woman from behind and asked if there was anything I could help her with. Then he turned around and said, no thanks. Right? I probably had about half a dozen of those. I thought it was a he, she kind of things. Hashtag oopsie, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Melissa wrote, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter Phoebe once told someone with missing teeth, my mom says everyone should brush their teeth two times a day. <laughs> oh, you're like, that's painful. Uh, Brandy wrote, a friend at work had a picture of a child in her locker that looked nothing like her. So I just asked her if it was a sponsored child, like World Vision or Compassion International or something. She said, no, it was her son. Apparently, he gets his looks from her husband. I was mortified. Is that a, is that a poor child you support? Like, that's my kid. Uh, uh, Elizabeth wrote, my husband was hanging up with his boss and he said, okay, I love you and I miss you, babe. <laughs> HR, you know, like, uh, sorry, man, that's not the kind of relationship that we were talking about here. Habits, you know, just kind of flies from the mouth. Uh, Tori wrote, we were walking our bloodhound puppy with our kids who were in the stroller. Lady came up and said, your kids are almost as cute as your dog. And she was dead serious. <laughs> My favorite part about that is some of your dog lovers are like, what? What's a, what's, what's a, What's the problem with that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, here were my favorite two by far. <laughs> Terrible. Carlotta wrote, when my son Sam was a little boy, he got on an elevator with his dad. There was a very tall African-American man in the elevator. Sam looked at him and said with a big smile, hey, dad, there's Worf from Star Trek, the TV show. My husband was quite embarrassed, but the man came to the rescue with a smile and a big laugh. <laughs> oh, no, it gets better. Last one here. Eric wrote, my coworker's eight-year-old son, having finished grocery shopping, stood in line at the grocery store behind an African-American man. Her son pointed at him and said rather loudly, look, mom, God burnt that one. <laughs> Before she could say anything, he turned around, smiled in his face, squatted down to her son's level and replied, no, son, God just ain't done with you yet. <laughs> Okay, here you are. That there's funny. That is funny. Now, hey, people, if your kids say anything like that, you got to get some color in your life. I mean, I know where we live, but this is just wrong. You know, they, they don't experience some color. You know, we got to get better than that in the Northwest, people. Uh, and, and as a pastor, I was a college young adult pastor. And uh, part of that experience was I had a lot of young marrieds. They college, they date, they get married, and then they have babies. And so uh, all these young marrieds would eventually have children. And so people would come in over and over and over. And yep, I was that guy that asked this one woman who came in first time. And I said, how far along are you? Because obviously she was pregnant. And she looked at me and she says, I'm not pregnant. To which I said, I want to die right now. <laughs> to which she said, no, that's just a good reminder. I need to go work out. To which I want to die again, you know, along those lines. 
So I learned that lesson, and it was ingrained in me so much so. I was like 21 at the time. And so even a couple weeks ago, there was a gal in our lobby who was at least nine months pregnant. I mean, she is within moments of having a child. And so I walk up to her. I say, so how are things going? She looks at me. She just goes, I was like, so how are things going? I said, I, I ain't going there. I don't, I don't care. You know, baby has to come out. I don't, I don't care what you think you were going to say. That I'm not going there again. Now, <laughs> these are humorous. They're embarrassing. Uh, and in some cases, they're quite innocent. But we all know words spoken or written are incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. In fact, James goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 9, sometimes our tongue praises our Lord and Father. We just did that through worship, through singing. Sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. How many of us have not been guilty of that? And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with fresh water or bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So what James is saying again, that the tongue is incredibly powerful. And with its power, there's two primary things that come from this tongue. First, words that bring life, right? Words that bring life. In fact, he uses a great illustration of this in verse three. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. This large animal, this really small bit can just change the whole course and the direction of the animal. Small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Here's what you know about in your life. Words have been incredibly powerful for you. Uh, they motivate us. They encourage us. They challenge us to do better. Have you ever had teachers or coaches or bosses that say, hey, you may not feel like you do it. I believe in you. You can do this. All of a sudden, it's so uplifting and encouraging. I mean, how many of us have seen the effects when we say something genuinely encouraging and, and, and specific in the life of another, to watch them light up. How many people, their entire lives, the course and the direction of their lives has changed because somebody said some things to their life, said some things and spoke over some things and encouraged them in ways that they were never the same again. The power, the power of words. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of all creation, do you remember the very first word spoken? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Then God said, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the rest of the chapter, he speaks life into the world. Mountains and the moon and the stars and the plants and the, the animals and the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, and yes, you and I all were spoken into being. The power of words, as we are also created in the image of God, we too have been given the gift of God to speak life into the lives of other people. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So when you got something good to say and good to share, you want to share that with other people, which is why we're always encouraging you, whether you're a follower of Christ or not today, to invite other people to experience or at least hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And, and so once again, Easter's coming up two weeks from today. And when you sat down, there would have been, you know, one of these invite cards on your seat or around. 
And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to think about who is one person that I need to speak words of life into, that I need to at the very least invite them to an opportunity where they may hear words that God's going to use to change their life for all eternity. See how the process works? You have to hear the good news. Yes, we have to live it. That's last week's lesson, but they need to hear it. And so we've got, as you can see, eight different services. Here's what I would encourage you not to do. Don't be here Thursday. That one's always full. Okay. Secondly, if you can, you first and foremost, you go with wherever your person has been invited to go. But I would encourage you not this service. It will be packed. It will be incredibly packed, these two services. In fact, you can see we have four services on Sunday morning. And for those of you who are not paying attention, you're either going to be really early or really late because we're messing you up on that, next, uh, on that Sunday morning because it's 745, 9, 1030, and 1159. It's April Fool's. That's not a joke. 1159 just makes you feel like it's earlier than what it is, okay? <laughs> Plus that there is an egg hunt after 1159 service, you know? So we're, we have all these hunts. And that's the other thing. So people will be like, you know what? I don't believe in God whatsoever. You're like, okay. Do you have kids? Yeah. You want to come to an egg hunt? Well, well, okay. You know, and then all of a sudden they're on campus and you're going to hear an opportunity to invite them. Ah, just stick around for another hour or come a little early and then go to the flashlight hunt. And so there's all these opportunities to get the word out. And so what I want to do right now is just pray for who God put in your heart, your mind, and your sphere of influence to be able to share an invitation to come and hear a message about the hope that we have in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share words of life. And Father, if an invitation begins that process, may you just show us favor. So Father, we pray right now for the person, whoever you're bringing into our hearts and minds right now, family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, stranger even. Lord, we just look forward to how you're gonna open up doors of opportunity. May we have the courage to verbally walk through those doors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Words bring life, bring life, but... You also know that out of the very same mouth, words bring death. James talks about this in verse 5. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And how much destruction have we seen by this little fires that take place most summers, you know, around here, where it just starts a little spark and it just destroys. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. James doesn't mess around. He just doesn't mince words whatsoever. And we know that these things are true. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but calling names won't hurt me. Wrong. That's a lie, you know, that we've bought into or told other kids. Don't worry about it. Just let it off your shoulders. No, words cut much deeper than wounds. Always. It really does. Words bring death. I can't tell you how many times that I've come across or experienced in my own life the death of relationships based on words, right? A friendship doing really well, but based on words did not go so well. Marriages dissolving, father, son, mother, daughter, relationships, coworkers that could have gotten through the situation at your job if you would just have gotten along a little more, but words destroyed it and then you held on because it's painful and it's cutting, and it's deep. Uh, I don't know if you remember when you were small, but, but many in this room that I know about you, because it happened to me too, is you received labels when you were small. And maybe it was a label that uh, your parents gave you. Maybe it was a teacher. It was a, an adult of some kind, an authority figure, who said things like this, or at least you heard it like this. You're not going to amount to anything. 
You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not going to be able to get to whatever it is that you think you're going to be able to get to. You're a loser. What's wrong with you? Et cetera, et cetera. How painful were those things? In fact, some of those things became labels. And here's what's interesting, especially when you're small, when you hear something over and over, even if it's not true in your life, you begin to conform to that which you hear. And so you begin to embody, well, maybe that is me. And so then I start living the way that I was told something about me. See how words are powerful? And because I was told this, I began to believe it. Because I began to believe it, I began to live it, and it was never true. And it's very, very painful. Uh, Even a lack of words spoken over you can bring death. A lack of words. Uh, What I mean is I cannot tell you how often I have come across people who said, you know what, I know my dad loved me, but he never said the words. And I know he did. He showed me over and over and over. I know he loved me, but it sure would have been nice one time or a few more times for him to actually say authentically the words, I love you. And so many dads are sitting there and being like, well, come on, I I show. That's the way my dad showed me and I showed them. I said, yeah, that's, that's good. Showing it is important. We talked about that last week. But saying it has power, has incredible power. Do you say that you love someone? It goes deep. It goes deep. Now, how do you get free from something that was said to you? How, how, do you, how do you free, if you've been labeled and you begin to buy into a label? Uh, let me give you an example. One of the labels that I got when I was younger was that I was dumb. And the reason I got it is because I had two brothers. One was older and one was younger, both of which were academics came easily to them. To me, it was always a labor. So they'd come home just easy. Here's the A's. Mom and dad, woo, good job, guys. Here's Dan's B's and C's and maybe D plus. Passed. Got through. And so they're thinking, well, maybe, Dan, you need to study a little more. Maybe you need to do some of these other things. They come to find out I have a slight dyslexia learning disability when I was uh, fifth or sixth grade. So that helped a little bit. But here's what would happen. When, when I would fight with my brothers, which you, you maybe never fought with your brothers. I fought with my brothers. We would fight verbally, just assault one another, make fun of each other, whatever it may be. When we fought with one another, their ace in the hole, their card that they would throw down, like, well, at least I'm not dumb. At least I'm not dumb. And when they did it over and over and over, guess what? I started to believe that that's what I was. And it still, every once in a while, plays itself out even today. Even though I know that's not true, I begin to buy into that. And so if I'm in situations where I'm trying to read a manual to try to fix something in our house, I hate manuals. And I'm reading it, and as soon as I start feeling like I don't understand what I'm reading, all of those insecurities come flooding back. It's because I'm dumb. Or if I'm in a situation or room where people are talking about things that I can't quite follow or keep up with, then all of a sudden that insecurity comes flooding back again. Interesting how powerful words can be. So when you have that, because all of us have different parts of that, you know, in our lives, when you have some of those things in our lives, how in the world do we get rid of them? Here's Here's how. What does God's word have to say about that? What does he really have to say? What is the truth of the word of God that has to say about whatever it is that you've been labeled, think, feel, or think about yourself or other people. And here's the key. Write out that scripture, write out those words, paste it somewhere, and speak it out loud. Don't just think it. Speak it out loud. Every single time something comes to you that reminds you of that, you speak this out loud, and over time, God's word will wash over you, and you'll begin to see yourself new in the likeness of how he created you, not how you were labeled by somebody else. It's powerful, the power of words, especially God's word. Now flip it. 
What if you and I are the people who have said hurtful, painful, or damaging things? You may never have. I have. You know, said some damaging things to other people. Here's, here was a reality check for this, me this week. For those of you who've been Christians for a while, I forgot this was in the Bible. In, math, in Mark, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Ouch! We will all be held accountable for our words, even after we die. I mean, in front of God, the judgment day. Told you this series is called Stretched for a Reason. The, the, you know, when it comes to the tongue, here's what you need to know. If you don't get anything else, wake up right here and then you can go back to sleep. If we can't tame it, we better train and restrain it. Okay? You'll never be perfect with your tongue on this side of eternity. But you can train and restrain it. Here's the best way that I know how that we can get in this practice. We talked about this two weeks ago. James 1.19 tells us, understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But that's not how we usually are, right? We are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry, which is part of the problem when it comes to our mouths. My parents said it this way, Dan, think before you speak. It helps. If we just take just a second to think, you know, that filter that many of us have lost in life, you know, that goes right from our brains to our mouths, that we would just somehow pause for just a second. Or in this day and age, before we click send, that we would just pause and think before we send because it has devastating consequences. So here's what I want to do for the last, next few minutes that we have together. I want to get specific because I don't want to just leave because walking out of here would be like, hey, get better control of your tongues, people. Let's pray in Jesus' name. We're out of here. You're like, ah, so go ahead, just try harder, do better. That's the message this morning. No, no, no. There's got to get down deeper. Uh, They've got to get to the root of it. Because you do realize that our tongue is only a direct reflection of our heart. Our tongue is not a tongue issue. A lot of times we focus uh, in life on, on the branches and we never get to the root of the issue. We never get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is actually the heart. So what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34 says, for whatever, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And you might say, well, no, 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 I'm a patient and kind person. Well, in that moment, your heart said differently. In that instance, now you might be majority of the time, but when that comes out, it's a reflection of what's going on in the moment, which is why it's so hard on this side of eternity. We're wrestling the sinful nature And trying to be more like Jesus, the spiritual nature, is wrestling on a regular basis. And so we have to go through a wrestling event in our own lives, in our own hearts, on a regular basis. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so what we want to do is for the rest of our time, I want you to be able to identify what are the areas that you struggle with the tongue with. Knowing that it's a heart issue, I want to try to then reveal what is the heart issue that's causing that tongue to be that, and then I want to give you a tool, a resource to help in that category. And so here's what I want to do, because I don't want to see a lot of marriage counseling this week because of this section. I want you to think for you, okay? When it comes up, I don't want to see that, you know, as we go through, you know, this conversation, even though that that may be true. We want to look at you. So here are the three categories, and I want you to ask yourself, is this 
me? And if you can't figure that out, then please ask the person next to you, is this me? Send a text to somebody, is this me? And they will be honest and say, definitely that is you, you big turd. You know, they'll just, <laughs> they may not say that. Those would be my friends who would uh, say those things. Okay, so the first one is gossip and slander. Okay, gossip and slander. Uh, another version of this would be mockery and sarcasm. Okay, mockery and sarcasm. If you can't figure out, well, I don't know slander. Well, think of that. Uh, remember the game Telephone, right? Telephone, as you start on one side, you say something, you try to get all the way to the end and see if the person can repeat back to you what the first person said, and it never happens the right way. We know this because we were kids, and yet we think that what we are hearing today is actually accurate information, even though it's coming from the fourth or fifth or sixth different person. See, Proverbs reminds us that rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. See, the reason that we like to listen to gossip is because it's interesting, right? All right, first thing, hey, have you heard about, oh, what, what's going on? Have you heard this latest? Yeah, yeah, tell me about this latest, whatever that may be. Uh, someone on Thursday actually did a text in question, and they asked, well, how do I respond if I know that someone is gossiping about me at work? How do I respond to that person? I thought it was a great question. Here's how not to respond. The first thing that we tend to do is once I hear that somebody's gossiping about me, I tell somebody else that somebody's gossiping about me. You see what you just did? Because I do that too. Like, can you believe that so-and-so is gossiping about me? And you're, you're perpetuating even though it's gossip about you. The second thing that I would say is go to the person. Okay, don't come, go to the person being like, I heard you said you devil woman. Don't do that. What you do is you go to the person and you assume the best. Could it be that because it's taken two, three, four people to get to you, that whatever that is that you're hearing may not be 100% true. Assume that it's not 100% true. Go directly to the person. It's kind of biblical. Matthew you know, 18, you can read about that. Go directly to the person and say, say something like this. Hey, I'm hearing some things that are being said about me that I hear the source is you. And so I never like to listen to any of those things. I like to go directly to the source. And I don't think you would say something like that, but if you did, I'd love for us to talk about that. Is it true? All of a sudden they'll be like, whoa. And you do that once or twice, I guarantee you they will stop gossiping about you. It's amazing if you're direct with people, but if you take it and you're like, oh yeah, that person, well, you got to know how terrible that person is. Then all you do is start slinging mud back and forth and it just perpetuates itself and creates an awful work environment. Here's what you also need to know about a gossip. If you have a true gossip that's in your work or in your family life, you do know you don't trust that person with stuff. And once you're aware of that, you say, I'm not going to start sharing with that person. And in fact, over time, even in your work environment, that person is the one that's isolated the most because their reputation actually reveals itself over time, you take the high road. Now, what about sarcasm, mockery? You realize it kills, don't you? We usually use this, the, the phrase, oh, I'm just joking, and nobody's laughing. So, and there's always some truth in some of the jokes that is out there. You understand it deflates a room. It deflates a relationship out of the effort or the intentionality of trying to be funny at another person's expense. So is this you? Gossip, slander, mockery, sarcasm. Here's the root. That's just the stem. Here's the root, the heart issue. It's an issue of your heart when it comes to envy and self-esteem or identity. You're making fun of, you're gossiping about other pe people, which makes you for a brief moment feel better about you. That's the driver and that's the heart issue. It's the identity issue, trying to figure out who you are. So let me give you a tool that will help. 
verbally praise the person being gossiped or slandered about. Verbally, in other words, if you're in a room and you're hearing, hey, did you hear about so-and-so and that kind of stuff? If when it comes to your turn to speak, you say something positive about that person, the gossip stops immediately. It's creepy and it's kind of fun, you know? And so just do it one time and just watch how the room dynamic changes because you're bringing a positive. And whatever's being said about that person may 100% be true, but you're bringing a positive light to the circumstance because Proverbs 26, 20 says, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Don't add more wood to the fire. Okay, maybe that's you. So how about the second grouping? You're like, well, that really wasn't me. Maybe this is you when it comes to your tongue. Constant, and I do mean constant, arguing, nagging, complaining, and criticism. In other words, you're a person that when it comes to criticism, you're like, that's not criticism. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Okay, those of you in the room who maybe like me, maybe more type A, driven, accomplished, achievement-oriented, have a tendency to see what's wrong first and not what's right. And so you have a tendency in your work environment in an effort to improve the organization, you could come across if out of balance that nothing is ever done well. So you come in criticizing right from the get-go. You come home criticizing right from the get-go. And you're fooling yourself thinking, well, they know I love them. They know I care. No, all they're hearing is criticism and that we're not good enough, that we're not making it. Now, is there times to share the truth? Absolutely. But so many people who have this kind of personality type, especially those of us who are quick with our words when it comes to some of these things, we've lost the thing called the filter. And so we think, well, I'm just being authentic and transparent. You know, I'm just going to speak whatever I, have, whatever I think. I'm gonna, you never have to know what I'm thinking. I never want to know what you're thinking anyway, but then you never have to know. I just uh, met with a counselor, you know, uh, in, the, in the lobby. Well, not for my own counseling, but that'd be a different conversation. Uh, but she said she tells her clients, she actually tells them to go buy a filter at the store or the auto body place. Buy a filter and put it someplace to remind you that it would be good to have a little bit of a filter. How does this make me look? If you say fatter than you were 10 years ago, you have no filter, okay? You want to be kind, truthful, yes, tact, no. The point of your criticism is to try to get better, not make people bitter. See, Proverbs 15.1 says, harsh words make tempers flare. Harsh words make tempers, you get people angry. Or Proverbs 21.19, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Right? Some of you ladies are like, I cannot believe he said that verse. <laughs> okay, the root of the nagging, the root of the complaining and the criticism that come in the household is more often than not because the guy's not listening. And so when he doesn't listen, we think the response is to nag more. And you don't realize that it actually turns them off more. And so you have this cycle that begin to take place over and over and over. And you start wondering about when it comes to arguing and nagging, complaining and criticism, that's the tongue. What's the heart issue? What's the root issue behind it? You realize it's about being selfish or self-centered. All of those things are about selfish or self-centered. In other words, I want it my way. I want it now, and I want you to do it the way I think you should do it. Now, obviously, in certain instances, that's right. If you're a boss, your parent, you know, all that kind of stuff. But how you deliver that is key. Absolutely, how you deliver that. And so the tool, the tool that changes the heart behind that is actually gratitude. Gratitude is the tool. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, when you come home, 
What are the first things that you say to those that you say you love the most? What's the first things that you say? You know, what's the, the first words that come out of your mouth? I love Ryan, you know, who is uh, one of our preaching pastors. A couple weeks ago, you know, he mentioned to you guys that one of the things, his word this year is encouragement. His word this year is encouragement. It's not that he wasn't encouraging, it's that he wasn't saying it. And so what, what happened is that we get through something and he'd be like, all right, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I identified that like, hey, we got to climb the next mountain. That was great. You know, Christmas is over. Here comes Easter. Here's what's going on. Got to keep reaching people, discipling people. All right, all right. And we're like, whoa, time out. Have we ever encouraged people on the way? And here's what I've noticed. When he has done that, he's verbally making that effort. I find that his staff is on a different level now. And you're starting to see people around him as well. And that's just one example from one person who said, I'm going to make a change. And you're seeing the effects of that change. Uh, one of the things I also want to mention is those of uh, us in this room who might struggle with some anxiety, okay, some, some of the, the mind stuff that goes on in your head, the negative self-talk and thinking and the anxiousness. Here's what's been really dis- cool to discover about how God wired our brain. You do realize that you literally cannot hold an anxious thought when at the same time verbally and authentically give something or someone praise. Your brain cannot hold both in that instant. So when you are feeling down or discouraged or want to be critical, if the way that you're able to do it is if you find something that has to be genuine, that you genuinely like or genuinely give thanks for, all of a sudden, in that brief moment, now your brain will go back, you know, right to the negativity could, but in that moment, you're beginning to train your brain the way God wired it towards something that's positive. Your brain can't hold both. It's funny how God kind of created us that way. So I've, we've begun to do this with our kids, but I'm doing it with myself now as well. I say, hey, no, that's not a good attitude. Let's say some positive things. I like my hair. You got to mean it. Something you really, you know, and if I can finally get one of them to say something they genuinely are thankful for, it's amazing how their attitude and demeanor in that instant changes. It's not the secret pill, but it does allow us to see how God wired us. And so here's what I want you to do. Think of one thing that you are thankful for right now. Genuinely. What is one thing that you are genuinely thankful for right now? Got it? Okay, turn to your neighbor and share it. Ready? Go. Got about 10 seconds. Okay, those of you who are willing to do it, I can see it. Smiles all over the room. Life giving. See what happens? It's amazing what happens when we do something along those lines. Okay, here's the last grouping. So was that you first? Are you a person when it comes to words? Constant arguing, nagging, complaining, and criticism. You know, and then you understand the tool is gratitude. I understand it comes from the heart. Here's the last grouping. And we could go on and on, but it's based on time. Lies. Okay? One of the hardest to admit because what I'm saying is either I'm not trustworthy or I don't trust you, exaggeration is part of mine, or boasting. You do realize that the root of those things is not the lie. The root is pride or ambition. The root, the heart issue is pride or ambition. In other words, I don't want you to find out the truth because it's going to make me look bad or be exposed 
for not having my stuff together in the work environment. So I'm going to exaggerate. I'm not going to tell the whole truth. I'm going to withdraw some things. I'm going to exaggerate just a little bit more. And so we see that. Or ambition. In other words, I want to boast about what I've done. I want you to like me. So I'm just going to continue to boast about those kinds of things. So here's the tool. This might be helpful. If you wouldn't sign it, don't say it. If you wouldn't sign it, then don't say it. As I already mentioned, do a two-second pause before you post, before you push send. So how do we change? If hearts is our issue, how do we change it? First, you have to allow God to change it. You can't change your heart. You have to allow God. But second, on your end, here's what you can help in the process. If out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, here's the question. What are you feeding your heart? What are you feeding your mind and your heart? The whole garbage in, garbage out. What you don't realize is that our culture is feeding into your heart and mind. Here's what I can tell you. And the studies have already done. If you are a person who constantly watches the news, you can't help but watch the news all day, different times of the day and every day, you will find yourself more a depressed person. You will. All the studies have already shown it. Because you're allowing this negativity to come raiding into your heart and mind that you'll find yourself being more negative to the things around you. So what do you listen to? What do you watch? Who do you surround yourself with? Because you do realize as much as your kids are the same way, you pray for your kids to find good friends because you know the influencing factor that takes place among peer groups, it doesn't go away when we get older. So what are you allowing to come in? And you'll find your heart will begin to change as you begin to guard your heart, begin to filter, and to fill yourself with some other things like what we've talked about, God's word. And you'll allow that to change you from the inside out. So as we close, what is your next step when it comes to trying to tame or or restrain your tongue? Are your words bringing life? Are they bringing death? Are they lifting or are they tearing down? Specifically, if you want the real challenge, Ask someone else to keep you accountable. If you identified which grouping you were in, that you would just say, I need your help to keep me accountable because I want to grow in this area. I'm not going to be perfect with my tongue, but I can learn with God's help, grace, and with the help of other people to restrain and to tame it in the way that he wired and designed. Someone asked me on Thursday, which I thought I want to kind of end with, they asked me this question, They said, Dan, I don't get it. How does me being held accountable with my words match with the grace and forgiveness of God? In other words, how am I, I'm going to go to heaven and and I'm going to be held accountable for my words? I thought I was receiving grace and forgiveness. You do realize how this is going to work. You and I are going to die one day and we're going to go before the judgment seat. That's what he said, before the judgment throne. And their God is going to be looking at us and everything is going to be laid, laid bare. No more hiding anything. All of the good things, all of the bad things that we have done, all of the good things and all the bad things that we have said will all be exposed before the judge. And he will look at us, and in our own state, he will have the right, based on our own words and actions, to say, guilty, convicted, condemned. You did it to yourself. But before he swings the gavel and says guilty, guess what? His son steps in and says, Dad, this one's mine. This one belongs to me. And so, yes, we will be held accountable. But here's the coolest part. That grace overcomes and washes us clean. 
which you do realize the way that you get to heaven is through Jesus. And Jesus says the way that we get to salvation is to believe in our heart, which is step one, but then to confess with my mouth and you will be saved. Maybe that's the next step for some of you this morning.